turn uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be reading verses uh, 1 through uh, 14. I'll go all the way to 18, but for the sake of time, I won't read the other uh, last few verses. So please read, uh, rise for the reading of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 14 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in, in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day that has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within me, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me pray for us and we will get started this morning. God, you are our living hope as we just sang. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for your faithfulness, your kindness, your love and mercy that you pour out onto us. And now, God, we come and we humble ourselves under your mighty word. We pray that your word would bring both encouragement and correction to our lives, that we would leave here not as we came, but we would leave here more holy as you've called us to. So open our eyes to see your word. Open our ears that may, we may receive your word. And God, then implant that word in our hearts that we may be obedient to it. So lead us, guide us as we humble ourselves to you. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Here we are in this short little letter, the second letter to Timothy. There's been two letters. This is the, the last letter that Paul will ever write. So Paul is writing from that prison cell in Rome. And as I said last week, I'll say it again. These are those, those last few words that Paul just desires Timothy to have and to hold on to and then to actually do. This morning, he's going to tell Timothy, remember Timothy is this, this young man who has been entrusted with the gospel to preach in Ephesus. He's a pastor of a church in Ephesus, and he begins to falter. And he begins to waver because of what's happening at the church in Ephesus, and he becomes really discouraged. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to remind him not to be discouraged. Remember where we left off last week. He said, God has given you a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so Paul is reminding Timothy, hey, there's this gospel in you that gives you great power. And yet he's being timid. And he's shrinking back from proclaiming the word of God because of maybe outward persecution from the church or inward, just a, a place of 
um, doubt. I don't know if you've ever been there. And sometimes one begets the other. Sometimes that outward persecution gets us to a place of discouragement. And in discouragement, we kind of sit back and we don't relish in the gospel and being reminded of the gospel. And here's Paul reminding Timothy not to shrink back, not to have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And this is why he's able to say what he says now to him. Therefore, remember, circle this word in your Bibles. Therefore is always there because of what's there before it. And so what's there before is a reminder. Timothy, keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on striving. And now he's going to tell Timothy, and this is those places in the text. I'm like, I don't want to preach this. Because he's now going to talk to him about suffering. He knows he's suffering, but he's like, hey, you're going to have to keep on suffering. Now, you got to remember, if you have your Bibles, turn over to 2 Corinthians. This is Paul at the last moment of his life. And so here's a man that knew suffering. Paul is the last apostle, and Paul took the gospel message to Gentiles. Up until Paul, the gospel message was only going to Jews. And so now Paul has been entrusted with this gift to go take to Gentiles. And it doesn't go well for him. And this is what Paul says about his life. This is what he says happens to him. Here's what he says about all of his sufferings. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this about himself. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, and with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less than one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I drifted at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brotherhoods and toil, hardship through all of the sleepless nights in hunger and in thirst and often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there was daily pressure on me, anxiety from all the churches. That is a brother who suffered. And remember what Paul will say. He says this, in another, one, another part of the letter, he, he says, oh, for me is this, like in my weakness, I find great strength. So he knew suffering. And now he says, I'm still suffering. Remember, he's not on the beach writing this letter. He is in a damp, cold prison cell writing this to Timothy. And this is what he now says to Timothy from a prison cell. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the testimony. And don't be ashamed of me. Because later on, and we'll cover this just in a moment, verses 15 through 18 is about men who were ashamed of Paul and deserted Paul. Like, I don't know if I want to be near that guy, because when you get near that guy, bad things happen. Deuces is what happens. That's what he says about these two gentlemen. And he says there's one guy that kind of stuck near him and to him through all the imprisonment. But now he says to Timothy, 
Hey, don't be ashamed of me, and please don't be ashamed of the gospel. And then he says this. Circle that one little word in your Bible. But what? Share in the suffering. He says, Timothy, hey, just like me, you're going to have to do the things I'm going to do. Be persecuted and suffer like I am suffering. And here's Timothy. Remember, Timothy is timid. He's shrinking back. And now, of all the things that Paul could have told Timothy, hey, man, just relax. It's going to be all right. You going to be good? It's going to get easy from here. I, I took all the beatings. You're good to go. I was the forerunner. No, he says to Timothy, hey, you're going to have to partake in suffering. So I'm telling you, I'm telling the church, I'm telling myself this morning, if we want to follow Jesus, we will suffer. Paul, in just a few verses, in 2 Timothy 3, says this, anyone who desires to live a godly life, what, will be persecuted. So I don't know where people get off with this this health, wealth, prosperity gospel. If you're signing up for Jesus, you're not signing up for riches. You're not signing up for nice cars or nice houses or nice vacations or even cure of all your illnesses. You are signing up for a lifetime of persecution. So if you don't want that, then don't follow Jesus. Now remember, Jesus said that to us. He said, you're going to have to count the cost. You're going to have to count the cost to follow me. My greatest fear is no one's told us the cost. Like following Jesus is really difficult. Flip back to 2 Corinthians. Read what happened to Paul. My man was out the sea for days. Just wandering on a piece of driftwood. Anyone done that before? No. Been thirsty, hungry, homeless. That's Paul. And now Paul's saying, you're going to have to partake in that with me. And so this morning, I want to look at, then how do we suffer well? How are we going to suffer well? So we're going to look at two parts. God's part in our suffering and your part in the suffering. So God's part and my part. Let's look at the text. God's part in the suffering, Paul says it this way. If I can get to part number two, we will. If I look at my watch and we're not there, we're coming back next week. Because what I have to say this week is really important. I do not want to rush through this first part. So I'm going to watch the time, kind of. One sign will be if you get up and walk out, I'll know when to stop. So Paul tells Timothy and is telling us, therefore do not be ashamed of the gospel or the testimony about the Lord or my imprisonment, but share in suffering for the gospel. It means to preach, proclaim, take the good news to lost people. He says this, how are we going to do that? He says, by the power of God. So God's part first in our suffering is we know this, we do not suffer on our own. We are suffering by the power of God. So you and I, in our suffering, there's a power greater than ourselves 
that dwells within us that allows us to suffer. If you think you can suffer on your own, you are going to be in trouble. It's by the power of God that even allows us to suffer well. Paul knew this so well. Paul knew from his conversion in Acts, when he came from Saul to Paul, he received the power of God. And in that moment, he started doing some amazing things, but only by the power of God. So you have to know first and foremost, do you know, do I know, do we the church know that the power of God now dwells in us? Which if we believe that, then we will be able to suffer well. Because God is going to do and allow us to go through things that apart from him would crush us. Because what does Paul say? There's nothing that has crushed us. Though it's been hard pressed, we're not crushed. We're not broken. So you have the power of God in you that will allow you to suffer. Not only that, he says this. So it's by the power of God that we suffer. And how do we suffer with God, with his power? He says it this way. We can do that with confidence. So he says, it is by the power of God who what? Saved us, called us, and now it's for his purposes in the text. So three things. Now we have confidence to suffer by the power of God because first and foremost, he saved us. Are you reminding yourself, am I, are we the church, reminding ourselves daily of our salvation. With that, we have confidence. Without that salvation, you have no power. So we, with, with confidence now, know that God has done something for us and in us. He now says the next confidence is this, that God is the one that did it. He's the one that called you. He calls us. And then he says, now with confidence, because of my salvation, because of the calling, he has a purpose for my life. He says this, he who saved us, he called us to a holy calling, something beyond ourselves, not because of our own works. You did not save yourself. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, your calling is a free gift from God. Your salvation is a free gift from the God so that no one would boast. So it's, this is what Paul's going to later on say that was de deposited in you. It's this gift of your free salvation that he put in you. So for whatever reason, God chose you to deposit this great gift, and now he says, I have a purpose for it. He goes on to say this, who gave us Christ Jesus, for the uh, called us not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus. God has saved you, God has called you for a great purpose. There is a purpose in your life and in my life from my calling that even, even in my suffering, I must recognize. My suffering is for the purpose of the gospel. Remember what he told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. I've got plans for you to prosper 
That, that does not mean you're going to be at rich. God has great plans for our life. God had a plan for your life, for a purpose for your life, for the gospel's sake. And we know this, it wasn't overnight. He said this purpose was before the foundations of the world. He says that in the text. He which gave us Jesus Christ before what? The ages began. God had a salvation, a calling, and a purpose for your life before you were ever thought of by your parents, by your great-grandparents. Because God is not caught in a box of time. God sees all things. God knows all things. He sees yesterday the same way he sees tomorrow. And God, in his great purpose for you, called you and saved you. Again, and we would say this, what is the call of God on all of our lives? Uh, Paul says this, is God's call on your life. This is the purpose of God for your sanctification. The call in your life, the call in my life, is to become more and more and more like Christ Jesus. You ever want to know what the will of God is for your life? That is the will of God. That is the purpose of God, that God would save you for his will. And his will is to sanctify you, to make you more like him. What one writer says it this way, God's call in your life, God's salvation on your life is this, that, that, you, that you would know him and you would enjoy him forever. Do you know God and do you enjoy God? Because knowing God and enjoying God is what will bring your sanctification. And then he says, not only this, not only by his power and with confidence, but how do we do that with his power and with confidence. He says this, we got to remember the promise. He goes on to say it this way. I've just said one of them. We can know for sure and be reminded of the promises that the promises is from long, long, long ago. Therefore, it can be trustworthy. Anything that has, te- has stood the test of time for that long is trustworthy, is it not? How many of us, are like, uh, again, Maybe you invested in crypto. I don't know. That was a bad idea. But like everyone, like that was like the bandwagon. Let's jump on crypto and make a lot of money really fast. Well, that market tanked because there was no trustworthiness in it. It didn't stand the test of time. But the gospel message has stood the test of time, and it continues to go on. It is trustworthy. So the promise is trustworthy. Here's what also, what also he said. The, the promise is not a thing. He says, before, he says, which is in who? Christ Jesus. The promise is Jesus. It's a person. Do you believe in the person of Jesus? Not do you know him. Because Paul is going to later on say this. I, I believe in him. Do you believe in that promise? Not just know the promise. See, knowing and believing are two different things. Knowing something doesn't always compel me to do something about what I know. But believing in something compels me to do something with what I believe to be true. So the first remembering of the promise, it's old, it's trustworthy. The promise is Jesus himself. And here we can remember the promise has power. Jesus has power. Three places that we see the power of Jesus. He says this. This is what Jesus' power has done for us. 
The first thing, it did this. It abolished death. In Christ Jesus, there is now no death for us. Yes, there's death for the body, but not death for the soul. So the first place is he abolished death. But here's the other promise. You can abolish death, but always abolishing death does not bring the next promise. Not only did he abolish death, but what he, what's the next promise that we see? What's the next power that he, we see? It brings us life. So he killed one thing, and then killing one thing now brought you into life. Do you live in that promise? Do you live in the promise that the old is past and now the new is here? The old God took care of through Christ Jesus. Your old sinful nature was killed at the cross. The, the power of sin in your life was abolished at the cross. And also at the cross, it brought you life. Do you believe that this morning? And then it says this, now this promise that's been given to you, he says it this way. He says in the last few verses, an immortality to the light through the gospel, for which I uh, appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to preach and teach the word of God. I'm not ashamed to preach the power of God. I'm not ashamed to, to preach the word of God. And he says this, for I have confidence or for I know who I believe in. He's not ashamed because of the confidence of who he's trusted in, the promise. And then he says this, and I'm also convinced that he, Jesus, is able to guard what he planted in me. So now this gift, this deposit, he's going to say later on in the text, has been entrusted to me, and now in that entrusting that, God's going to keep that to fruition. God's going to guard that all the way to the end. What he's saying is, you cannot lose your salvation. Like we have confidence in our salvation, not because of anything we do, but because of everything he does. When he implanted us, therefore he's also going to watch over what he implanted in us. So you cannot lose your salvation. If anyone tells you you can lose your salvation, take them to this passage. No, no, he guards it. Like he put it in you, and now he's with the Holy Spirit guarding it. But how often in our insecurity, are we so insecure that we're going to lose our salvation? Well, if you have insecurity about losing your salvation, you're going to go back to a works-based mentality. i got to keep working to keep this thing. We didn't work to get it, so what makes you think you got to work to keep it? But that's where Satan brings these lies to us. And he's like, no, no, I have this confidence in the promise of Jesus that he will guard it through the Holy Spirit all the way to the end. Do we have that confidence in Christ Jesus this morning? Because if all that's true, then what? Then we won't be ashamed of the gospel. Because you can take everything from me, but you can't take the one thing that matters most to me, my salvation. And that is why Paul is able to say, hey, through all that I've been through, I'm still okay. I'm still good. 
he says this, for me to, to live is Christ and to what? Die is gain. And he's saying, I will be persecuted because I know at the end of this, there's this great reward waiting for me. There's this gain waiting for me. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? Do we look at today as we are waiting to receive the gain for us in heaven? Are we so in our anxiety that we can't even see what God has promised to us in the future? But Paul's like, no, no, you're going to have to endure the suffering, but let me show you again. This is how we endure that suffering. It's by the power of God, it's with confidence, and it's by remembering the promise of Christ Jesus. That's where it starts. Look where Paul starts. Our confidence in our suffering does not start with ourselves. It starts with God. And God is going to do stuff for us, in us, with that place. And I wish Paul would have hit period right there. But now Paul's like, yeah, and now there's some things you're going to have to do in your suffering. There are some things that all that God's doing, there's some things that we're going to have to do as well. So this is our part of the suffering. It says in verses 13 and 14. So after all that God has done for us, he now says there's some things that we must do in our obedience to God in our suffering. So these are acts of obedience. Not acts of working to keep what's been trusted to us. Once you get saved, you must be obedient to Christ. So now he says there's two things that we must do in our suffering. That there's places of obedience for us. The first he says this. Follow the patterns of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The first thing is this. We must follow the word. Now, that word follow does not mean to walk behind. When we think follow, oh, like follow the leader. There's a leader and we just follow behind. That's not the Greek word. That's not the word that Paul used. The word means this, to literally hold on to or to grip tight with all of your might. So we are to what? Hold or keep the word. Which means we are to treasure the word of God does not just follow do you and do I do we really hold tight to God's word the psalmist says it this way I've hidden your word I've held so tightly to your word that I might not sin against you so it's not just following the word of God it's are you gripping the word of God in your life and if you grip something you got to know something Do you know the word of God? Do you treasure the word of God? Because if you do not treasure the word of God, what would you want to hold on to it for? Like if you're with your kids and you love them so much, when you see danger happen, do you not grip them tighter? That's what Paul is saying about. Like are you gripping the word of God in your life? But you got to know the word of God. That is my great fear. I say it all the time. My great fear is that we have the word of God, but we do not treasure or grip the word of God. Do you love God's word? Not that you just follow it, but you'll hold fast 
to it. Paul goes on to say it this way, not only are we to follow the patterns of the sound word. That word pattern means this, a standard. A standard of living. God has called us as children of him to hold tight to the standard of living that what? He has called us to. God does have a standard for how we ought to live. Now the world says, forget the standard. Come up with your own standard. That's why we're in the mess we're in. And there is now no standard how we are to live. What's good for me may or may not be good for you. And vice versa. No, no, when I hold fast to the word of God, God then has a standard for my life. But I wonder how many of us don't know God's word, therefore our standard of living comes and goes like the ocean. There is no anchor. Like God is really clear on sexuality. God is really clear on marriages. God is really, you want me to keep going? God is really clear. It's not, there's not a whole lot of gray. But we make it gray because we don't hold firm to God's word. And by holding firm to God's word means I am getting into God's word. Like if there's things in this world that like kind of invoke curiosity in me or questions in me, take those questions and curiosities. What does God's word say about sexuality? Because the world's coming against us in that. The world is diluting the truth in that. And as the world dilutes the truth, we will begin to wander from the truth. Paul says it. He says, and he's going to say it here in a few verses. Hey, the world, they're, they're going to have this itching ear that they're going to want things to be their way, and they're going to make it so. And it's going to happen over time. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to happen like by us just slowly deteriorating away from the Word of God. Again, God's Word is really clear about abortion. It's super clear. But how even in the church we're like, eh, all the places we look in our society, all the places we've come, all the places we've wandered from the truth, it's because we, the church, have not held on to the Word of God. My great anger for the church is because pastors do not preach the Word of God. Like there's people that call themselves preachers, they never open their Bible on a Sunday morning. That is a disgrace to the word of God. Now, man, it sounds great. It's super entertaining. But that's not the word of God. The word of God was never meant to entertain us. The word of God was meant to encourage us and to rebuke us. So if you're leaving Sunday every week with just a laugh and a smile and some like, ah, then this is not it. This is, you, you've gone to the wrong place. And I promise this, if you start leaving here with a smile and a grin on your face, thinking, oh, that was so sweet, fire me. Because I'm not preaching the word of God. I'm not here to step on your toes. I'm here just to tell you the truth of God and let you go deal with the truth of God. Will we hold fast to the word of God? And will we live our lives through the pattern of the word of God? 
Anyone a seamstress in here? Like they have patterns for how to make things. And you cut out that pattern. You can't really divert from that or you're going to have a terrible, terrible dress. That's what God is saying. This is a pattern of how we are to live so that we can what? John 10, 10. I, I want you to have a life and a life to the full. That full life is only through the pattern of God's word. God's word is for your protection and for your good and for your kindness. Because he's the author and perfecter of your life. Therefore, he knows how to live and to give you your best life. That's what God wants for you. But it's by following the patterns that he set out before us. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Not only that, are we to hold fast to those things, but he says it's by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, we are what? To guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. That, that word guard means this. It means to be like a watchman. Always be on alert. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober-minded, alert, because you have an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour you. So not only are we supposed to hold the word of God, but then we are also to guard what's been entrusted to us. Like God has given you this great gift of your salvation. Like when you came to know Jesus, God gave you the greatest gift that you and I could ever have. His Son, His Holy Spirit now dwells within us. But how many of us do not protect that great gift? We're just nonchalant. It's like, oh, he, he was supposed to do that. No, no, he didn't have to do that. Man, I, my great, great, great fear is that we don't really see this precious gift that God's given to us. H how many of us as parents, I'll tell you for me, I'll, I'll speak for me. Maybe this isn't true for you. For you. I remember when Tennis was born. I remember holding her, I remember having that moment of, uh-oh. And it wasn't uh-oh like her, it was like, uh-oh, now I'm called to care for her for the rest of her life, and it is scary. And then they're like, hey, now you got to put her in a car seat, and you got to put her in the car. I'm like, uh-oh. And I remember driving from the hospital home, and I, this may not be true, this is my memory, it, it was like a 12-minute drive home, it felt like it took me an hour and a half. Because I'm like creeping, crawling, like looking all through the mirrors, making sure like who's coming where, what's coming where. Why? Because there was something in my back seat that I treasured. And I wonder if we hold the gospel message, our salvation, the same way. What Peter says, are we always on alert? Like, and that means, are we watching what we watch? Are we watching what we listen to? Are we watching the conversation that we're engaging in? Like, are we guarding that from all the assaults that are going to come our way? Because Satan is going to attack you. That's a promise. And he's going to want to weaken your defenses. 
so he can get you the precious gift to make you doubt, to make you wander away from the Lord. But God is saying through Paul to Timothy, hey, that thing that you're, you're starting to shrink back from, that you're getting nervous to protect, please don't, Timothy. Please guard it. But look what he says. The key is this. How are we to guard it? We are to guard it through what? The Holy Spirit. So even in our guarding, we're not doing that alone. We are guarding this thing, this precious gift, this promise that Jesus gave to us. There's a word in the text about this guarding. It means this. That word guarding means never to do it alone. How many of us think we've got to guard this gift of our salvation by ourselves? We have the Holy Spirit, but Paul is not telling Timothy it's just the Holy Spirit. We are to guard it with one another. And so now the next step is, am I guarding the gift that God gave to you? Like, am I on your lookout for your salvation, and are you on my lookout for mine? We talked about this Wednesday night. We are to put on the full armor of God. You know the one place the armor of God does not cover? Your backside. Because why? Paul and God knew if we had each other's backs, we wouldn't need to guard each We wouldn't need that guard from him because we're guarding each other. Like if there's things in my life that you see aren't guarding the sweet gift of Jesus, please call me out on that. Like if my life is not in tune with the Holy Spirit and with the Lord and God's word, somebody better say something to me. That's called accountability. That is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Hey, man, you need some accountability in your life. Because if you don't, you will falter. So we can get anxious about guarding this thing. But what if as a church we would guard this thing together? That's what Paul is saying. And now he's going to say this. And you better choose your friends wisely. That's the next part of the text. Because he's saying, hey, y'all got to guard this thing. But let me show you what happens. There's some people, when it gets really bad, they're going to deuces on you. Because he says that in verses 15 and 18. Hey, you're aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me. Like they were all, had my back until it got really bad. That happened to Jesus. Remember, Jesus had all these disciples. Then he says to them, hey, you're going to have to deny your life and come and follow me. And they're like, see ya. And they deserted him. And then Jesus looked at his 12 and was like, y'all got somewhere to go? And Peter, being Peter, was like, no, man, I got nowhere to go. But even Jesus had people desert him. So know this, when you follow Jesus, people will desert you. People will leave you. But begin to pray that there are some men and women in your life, like this one man in this text, that it says, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Like Paul, the greatest apostle to ever walk the planet, needed someone else to bring him refreshment for his soul. He was weary, he was tired, he was beaten, and yet he had a man that would refresh him. My challenge to you, my challenge to me, 
are there men for men that refresh men and are there women for women that refresh you? He says this, may the Lord grant and find him, may the Lord grant him and find him mercy from the Lord for that day. For you well know all the service that he rendered in Ephesus. So for us in closing, know this, when you and when I have someone else's back, the mercies of God will fall on you. When you and I have someone's back, the gift even of that 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 brings. And so, church, this morning in closing, first, are you willing to partake in this, partake in the suffering of the gospel? That's the first call in your life. Are you willing to suffer for gospel's sake? And if you are, will you be reminded that God will play his role by his power, with confidence, and remembering the promises that he gave to us? And then will we hold fast and guard those sweet deposits as we do that for one another. Let me pray for us this morning.